Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where we discuss the pros and cons of just walking away in Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 35, which begins with the Lord Humongous getting back on the microphone, and it ends with the compound being given one full day to decide if they want to take the Lord Humongous's offer. And today is Friday, it is our special guest episode, and today we are joined by Yuri Lowenthal and Travis Sentel of You Are Awaited, a Mad Max Fury Road podcast. Hi! Hi, guys. We're, we're excited to be here. It's, it's been a while since we've talked about Mad Max, and we're excited to uh, jump back on the... Uh, the Max Wagon. Uh, on the Max Wagon. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. Yeah. See, I'm trying to remember when I first learned of the existence of the You Are Awaited podcast, and I think it was when I was first probing the waters about starting one of these things and you guys stood out very brightly outstanding could you tell us a little bit about the you are awaited podcast for people that have not been exposed to it travis and i were friends obviously before the podcast and i made him go and see fury road i had already seen it several times that it had so deeply affected me and i said you gotta go see it so we went because you hadn't seen it yet right i had not seen it not and we went saw it and we found that whenever we got together the topic always came back to Fury Road. And I, I think just in, in conversation, we said, uh, what, well, we should just do a podcast where we talk about Fury Road. Yuri and I wanted an excuse to hang out. That yeah. was really our main was, goal. Yeah. And we thought if we'd set, we're both sort of, you know, <laughs> flighty people. <laughs> yeah. And we thought if we have a weekly requirement where we have to put out this thing that's like an hour long once a week, we'll definitely get together. And we definitely can talk about Mad Max Fury Road for an hour a week, and, easy. Yeah, and I and I had heard about the Star Wars Minute podcast, and I thought, what if we did Fury Road four minutes at a time? Would it hold up to that? God and, dang and, it, it did, and, and it did. We recorded, uh, we recorded. It's it, so yeah, did. It's, yeah, it so did, <laughs> and uh, and we started doing our own guest episodes, and uh, and we, we yeah years yeah we a year 50, we we did we did a year on the Fury Road. A year on the Fury Road. Um, I will say that the best part about it was we had this nice little community form up of people who started following and listening to the podcast and tweeting at us and emailing us and a lot of the people from the film found out about it and were gracious enough to come on so we did interviews with I mean a lot of the above the line people we did the composer we did two of the writers stunt coordinators some of the actors we did Quentin Kenahan yeah is that did I pronounce it right Kenahan yeah yeah so it was great. I mean, we got to learn a lot about the film and uh, really do a deep dive in a way that was intellectually satisfying to us and hopefully to our listeners. Uh, and I will say as as means of complimenting both of you. Uh, you are a thousand times more organized and prepared than us, and we are we are and we are admiring of you, and we are intimidated by you, and we're just happy to be here. Oh. <laughs> I gotta say, all that organization that comes through on the podcast is all thanks to Rick. Rick, he is you're, so you're a gem. Organized and prepared. Also. Can I just say that your voices are a lot better for podcasting yeah, than Yuri and ours? You I, guys I, I was sound thinking the same thing. like professional, like you're deep and resonant, and it's great. And Yuri's a professional voiceover actor. Uh, you guys are really good at this uh, tonal stuff. Oh, thank you. Please don't compliment me too much. That's all it I had. will go to that, my that, head. That was 100%. <laughs> I said all the nice things I have to say. Now it's combat, so let's get to it. All right, there we go. <laughs> Gloves are off. <laughs> 
Yuri, I've got to say, I really like the work that you're doing with Rooster Teeth, oh. specifically your character on Camp Camp. Thank me too. That is so much. Oh, it's so good. Camp Camp is so good. It's so, yeah. Neil is definitely one of the standout characters, not just because he's one of the main three, but just his characterization is really fun to listen to. <laughs> Thank so. you. Thank you. I, I'm thrilled, A, to, you know, having been a, a fan of Rooster Teeth for a while, it is uh, it is a thrill for me to finally get to, to work with them, especially on a show that's this funny. <laughs> yeah. For those of you listening that have never heard of Camp Camp, it's a animated feature by the online company Rooster Teeth about a bunch of kids at a summer camp that is not so much a space camp or a science camp or a adventure camp. It's kind of all of those things and more because the owner of the camp is kind of a shyster. And so you get all of these myriad characters having shenanigans together, and Yuri plays Neil, the kid who was supposed to go to science camp. And it is vulgar as all get yeah, out. Yeah, it is not safe for work. <laughs> not yeah. safe for work. Do not watch it with children. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the rating on this podcast? Can we swear or should we not? Do not feel like you have to censor yourselves or anything like that. I will take care of that in post. Oh, so you bleep us? Yep. So the less we give you to bleep, the less work you have to do in post. Right. Oh, let that's... me just. Uh, this is Travis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just want to. I want to listen back to that and hear how cool I sound. Thank you. Gotcha. I can't guarantee I'll keep it in. I might just cut it out no! entirely. Well, I'm gonna throw. And listen, if you don't promise to keep that in, I'm gonna slip them in the rest of the episode. Right? So I need. I need your guarantee on air right now that you're keeping that in. You're right. You can All either right. t- you can either take those or you can you can go weed- weeding through the rest of the episode. Yeah, you're called, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is a true standoff now. Right? <laughs> this is what happens when you put too many Mad Max podcasters together exactly. in one situation. Four podcasters enter. <laughs> two leave? Two leave? I don't know. <laughs> Less than? Yeah. I don't know. 1.8 leave. <laughs> Great. Well, in any case, we're happy to be here, man. This is yeah. like, uh, yeah. honestly, we've been wanting to get back together and do an episode anyway. And so this is a perfect opportunity. And it's something we've been looking forward to quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great minute to have you guys on because yeah, we're excited. it is the kind of final leg of the Lord Humongous's grand address to the dwellers in the compound. It's where he finally outlines his compromise after he spent the earlier part of the week belittling the people he's talking to and dealing with the shenanigans that happen around him. So let's dive into it. Let's. Let's. We start off this minute with one final parting shot of Bear Claw Mohawk carrying Wes away very tenderly for how bulky and, I'm assuming, spiky those shoulder pads are. <laughs> and... We shift from looking at Bear Claw's back to the Lord Humongous just kind of sitting down in his truck and taking a breath because wrestling Wes to unconsciousness seems to have tired him out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard to flex. I have flexed for at least 30 seconds before, and it's exhausting. And if you look at his bicep, his left bicep in that shot, it is rippling, and that is not easy to do, guys. Is it, the back of his head is rippling, too. We get a nice uh, long little bit <laughs> of that. But, but also, I find, you know, because I have a tendency to look at things from a, uh, a producer standpoint or a filmmaker standpoint, the way that uh, Wes sort of gently delivers himself into Lord Humongous's uh, grasp had to have been a... Under-rehearsed. A, 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 like, either, like, a, we can't do this safely, you can't climb down to get me, you can't reach me, so if you could just sort of throw yourself in, then I'll, I'll wrestle you into unconsciousness. 
it, it was it was kind of beautiful. It's nice. Also, I don't know if you guys know, but Yuri uh, has a pretty personal relationship with the actor who plays Wes. Really? That's right. Vernon Wells. I mean, we're not uh, close friends, but he's uh, Godfather. But we have right. He's the Godfather of my child. No, <laughs> Vernon is out here in Los Angeles and and works and uh, has has done a lot of video game work. And there have been times when I have. I met him at video game sessions, and he is—he's uh, a—he's still a rambunctious type. He's a—he's he's a, he's a character. That's great, rambunctious yeah. type is. Great. Yeah, and and it's you know it's always weird when you when you meet those people that you sort of you know grew up with, knowing them as you know Wes from from Road Warrior, to to then meet them later in your life. You don't want to be the guy who immediately starts asking for Mad Max stories. I waited at least five minutes before I asked him about that. <laughs> That's great. I think five minutes is long enough to not qualify as immediately. So yeah, right, 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 yeah. yeah. Don't tell my girlfriend that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you can bleep that too if you have to. I remember, I remember my first time. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> like I said, the Lord Among Us. He kind of looks like he is just deflated an air mattress by hand. <laughs> and well done. <laughs> that's saying something, considering that his face is entirely covered. Mm-hmm. But he. <laughs> lifts up the microphone to his voice, and this is what he says. He says, There has been too much violence, too much pain. None here are without sin, but I have an honorable compromise. And, Julia, you just gave me a look. Well, that line, none of us is without sin, we talked earlier in the week, and we kind of disagreed about what the compound should have done versus what they could have done. And it's just, he's doing the thing that you were talking about, Rick, how abusers blame their victims for the actions that they have taken and this is just another time when he's like yeah you guys are at fault (laughs) and i'm gonna do the honorable thing there's blame on many sides as as has been said recently yeah Mm -hmm. i appreciate that he's recognizing hey you know we did capture and torture and murder your scouts but in response you know you guys didn't share with us so you know wrongness on both sides i mean and of course you talk metaphysically of course no one is without sin we've all done terrible things in our lives but i still think that us not being able to see that initial meeting between the horde and the compound like we don't know who fired the first shot i i'm very willing to blame the horde Mm -hmm. i mean the other day julia you were saying that the compound were probably a bit more standoffish than they could have been it's also a, a hostage negotiation tactic i think that we should point out here which is that if if you're looking to something going forward uh, there's a lot of phrases you can use to reset the past and say okay look we're here now let's forget what came before strategically the best thing to do to avoid bloodshed going forward is that you guys give up what you have and we'll come in and take it we have the firepower um, and so it's a reset conversational move that he uses here to say look we've all made some mistakes going here but if you guys want to avoid bloodshed going forward you should and so it puts the onus on the victim to avoid future conflict you have the option here of preventing some death going forward. And so a lot of hostage negotiators will use similar language. But here's the question for you. Do you believe, and you were probably getting to this, do you believe that if they said, okay, you're right, just let us go and we'll give you this stuff, do you believe that he would grant them safe passage, as he said, through the wasteland, or do you think he would slaughter them all as soon as they opened the gates? Good question. That is a good question, and that's definitely the question of the day. Real quick, just to cover what we're talking about, the Lord Humongous says, here's the compromise. Just walk away, give me the pump, the oil, the gasoline, the whole compound, and I'll spare you. That is the deal that he's laying out, and he punctuates that by saying, just walk away, and I'll give you safe passage in the wasteland. Walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. 
Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the contract that he puts forward. He wants to trade everything in the compound for their safe passage away. And as I'm listening to this, it kind of sounds to me like he's offering to escort the compound dwellers out of the wasteland, possibly to like the northern coast where they're planning on going because he might have learned that from the tortured scouts that he captured. However, when he uses the phrase, just walk away, it also kind of sounds like they're going to leave the compound, leave all of their stuff behind, and just kind of wander away on foot. Yeah. And then the promise of safe passage means that the horde specifically won't harass them anymore. That's how I read it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are very two different ends. How Riri, how'd you read I read I read the latter interpretation of that. Yeah, I, I think that is the deal he's offering, but I I don't think he would uh, abide by that. I think that's to get them to open the gates and to leave themselves unguarded and as soon as that happens they're all dead. Is my my take on it based on their behavior so far and the behavior of people like this in Mad Max movies. <laughs> I would like to say there's a there's a code of honor, but I think part of what we find, you know, throughout the whole series, everybody's got their code, but I don't think there's a sort of a unified, you know, code of honor like that. I think that when you're in the wasteland, you're on your own. And Wes desperately wants to kill everybody. Yeah, he says it which many is times. Awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And Lord Humongous tells him that he can have his revenge. Right. So I think that indicates that Humongous would not honor that agreement. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he's asking the compound dwellers to take an awful lot on trust. And they have not, so far, developed a relationship of trust. There is no reason anyone in the compound can hear what the Lord Humongous is saying and actually take him for his word. Mm -hmm. You know what Humongous should do is release his hostages as Mm -hmm. an act of good faith. Mm. Right, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't. Or at least one, maybe. It'd be a nice start. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a bit of a prisoner's dilemma without him doing anything to indicate his goodwill at this point. It's just strategically what's the best gamble, and I don't think he's giving them a good gamble because there's no reason, there's no evidence to support that the gamble is going to pay off in any way, you know, for the Right, it's, you know, you you could could sort of, um, I mean, there are definitely echoes of Immortan Joe in Fury Road coming out you know, at the near the very beginning, and you know his "Do not become addicted to water" speech. You know, over a loudspeaker with his face covered, much like is, is happening here, and you know, using words to confuse the people that he's trying to control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like there are so many instances where you're watching a movie and you're thinking, "Oh, if this person only had like a competent personal assistant, <laughs> everything could have gone so much yeah. better." Yes. Yeah. 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 Where's the Sarah Huckabee Sanders of the situation? <laughs> <laughs> How do we get? Some- someone out here who can really parse this and make it seem more uh, palatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's had these hostages seemingly all morning because they captured them all pretty easily. If he could get the right kind of information out of these hostages, because I feel like the plan to go to the northern coast is fairly well known by the people in the compound. And if the Lord Among Us knew more than just the simple, you want to take the gas out of the wasteland, that's all he lets on that he knows. But if he knows that they want to leave the compound behind and go to another part of Australia and that they are looking for a rig big enough to pull the tank of gas, well, Wes knows exactly where the rig is that Max knows about. Mm, right. Next week, Max is going to be all like, hey, if you want to get out of here, you talk to me. It's in our intro that if the Lord Humongous wants to kind of undercut Max, he could send Wes back, say, hey, find it, bring it here, 
and then we can have an equitable trade. And I feel like that's what a personal assistant would, would say. You're right. Don't trade the compound for their lives because you're probably just going to kill them anyway. Bring them a truck, let them have their tanker, and then they leave. And then if they leave under an amiable situation, maybe they won't completely blow up the compound. Right. I mean, that's pure strategery, which I don't know that Lord (laughs) Humongous necessarily engages in. I think there is... There's always a balance between strategic communication and um, diplomacy versus pure power. And I think the powerful position is, we're not going to make any offers. We're not going to do any of this for you. It's not, he's not dealing with the smart thing to do here. It is a pure expression of dominance and power, I think. And that, I think the smart thing to do would be what you're saying, but I don't think it's the wasteland way to do things. And I don't think it's the way he thinks he ought to go about doing things. Especially because signs of diplomacy in the midst of conflict can read as weakness when you're dealing with a pretty machismo-based organization. Hair dye aside, they're a pretty machismo-based organization. <laughs> so I think and that's... Chaps, chaps aside, Oh, those yeah. assless chaps are ugh, dreamy. <laughs> but I do think that that's part of the wasteland um, deal-making uh, that we're looking at here. Yeah, you definitely get the sense that the Lord Among Us has built his image on representing an unstoppable force. That he is going to blow through things and they are either going to succumb to his will or be destroyed. Kim Jong-un doesn't do trade deals, is what we're saying. Exactly, exactly. So while it would be easier and cost less men and less energy to be diplomatic and be a little more crafty, it's, like you said, it's not the wasteland way. That's right. That feels right. I also noticed this time, and I don't know why I had forgotten this, but Lord Humongous reminds me a lot of Werner Herzog, even though it's different accents. Like, he's just (laughs) this nihilistic sort of faintly Germanically tinged uh, accent that is sort of dour and depressing to listen to. It just makes you feel like things are hopeless when you hear his voice. Yeah, it is interesting, too, because in Fury Road, we talked about how, you know, you run into these, uh, the, the buzzards, they're all they're all speaking Russian. You're like, how did, you know, this, this clan of Russians get to uh, Australia? My, I have a similar question with, you know, a, a giant Swedish bodybuilder being <laughs> the only person who doesn't have an Australian accent in this film, especially when, uh, because he wears a mask the whole time, while you can see his lips moving a little bit behind it, he could be very easily dubbed to match the rest of the Australian but George Miller was just like, no, let's just make him Swedish. I mean, the, and the act, the actor is Swedish. So thoughts. Rick, you had some info on that on the background of Lord Humongous. Did we talk about that yesterday? We talked about Lord Humongous's background in relation to the fact that his head looks all janky the way it Mm -hmm. does. And, you know, George Miller did describe him as, you know, some sort of military man that had been severely burned over most Mm -hmm. of his body. And so we see later on in this movie that he has kind of this little kit box holding a, um, and I'm going to have the exact information right in front of me in just a moment. Are the Swedes known for their military prowess? I feel like I've got some bad information somewhere. (laughs) Or their bodybuilding, really. Yeah, weird choice like you know what we want an archetypal military bodybuilder i noticed that in in looking this guy up on the on the imdb he basically played you know heavies he played you know strong men in the background you know in most of the films that he's been in he was like we need a giant bodybuilder who do we got and he was the guy yeah we uh were introduced to him i think on tuesdays when we talked to it but he was a swedish born olympic level weightlifter who moved to australia at the encouragement of his wife, who was an actress. And that's when he started acting in movies. That gun that I mentioned earlier that I said I was going to have information for, it's a Smith & Wesson forty four caliber Model 29 revolver with a scorp and an H 
inch barrel. But inside the gun case, and this is kind of owing to that backstory that we were talking about, there appears to be a picture of a couple from maybe like the 19 teens, kind of the World War One area, uh-huh. where the man is wearing a British officer field uniform and the woman is wearing very 1916, 1920 type clothing. And then there are a couple of silver medals, probably service medals and service stars, as well as a large Prussian, let's see, Totenkopf and an Australian military forces uniform insignia, amongst other things in the box. Yeah, you know, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's incredible and awesome. I know I'm not coming around to this one minute at a time thing, guys. You're kind of swaying me. <laughs> I was skeptical. We had a little we intro. Squandered, we, did. we squandered our whole show. We had decided that three minutes probably would have been an optimal amount of time uh, for Fury Road to give us full out 45 minutes to an hour. But this one minute thing is paying some dividends. So well done. I say, oh, thanks. <laughs> the format can be interesting at times. If our listeners want to go back to season one, where we're talking about Mad Max 79, there's one minute in particular that is literally just Steve Bisley on a motorcycle for the entire minute. And he is (laughs) riding down the road and there literally nothing happens. Stuff happens the minute before, stuff happens the minute after, but it's literally nothing happens. And we still managed to talk about it for like 15 minutes. I think it was like still a 15, 20 minute episode. You know what we found? You guys, guys, I mean, even from the very beginning with your opening credits, I was like, oh, this is going to be a short episode. Nope. (laughs) You know, you know, we found interestingly enough on Mad Max Fury Road was that it seems to go in four minute cycles. Uh, naturally it'll have rises falls and sort of mini four minute movies that we got we kind of lucked into for a lot of it but it really is built that way um that we wouldn't have discovered if, if we hadn't stumbled on that number so some of his movies have ebbs and flows that are sort of natural to them which is interesting to find out yeah, the more we watch of George Miller, the more we notice how he likes to do that. Put together his scenes in very complete packets. Sequences that are clear. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Totally. Awesome. You know, George Miller, Miller should make web series, really, is what you should be working. He should be <laughs> yeah, working. why is he overshooting with his Hollywood bowl? <laughs> yeah. I mean, web he likes to talk fun. about how he has so much material. I think he actually publicly said that for every character in Fury Road, he had a backstory and he had more material for, you know, he could go into short form and just oh, release totally. a Mad Max online series we, of videos. We've seen some of the behind the scenes drawings over the course of our podcast time and they're awesome and as good as you would imagine. And the idea, the reason that movie feels so rich and a lot of these movies feel so rich is that there are there's so much happening off screen that you can feel the weight of that. Um, yeah. That is the hallmark of a well, well-baked film and it doesn't arrive by accident. And and one of the things that doing this these podcasts have done for us is that when, when we watch movies now, it, you can tell which movies are fully baked instinctively now. You go, oh, that's not baked all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, they sort of stopped halfway through. I got, you know, that was an arbitrary decision, whereas, you know, this is, you know, you, you look at any of George Miller's stuff, everything is story based and character based and fully thought through. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I wanted to cover just super quick was a mistake that I made in my notes. Julia. Way back in the beginning of the speech. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, he, Julia. <laughs> I know. He lists the things that he wants left behind. Mm-hmm. And the, the people just walk away. So he says the pump, he says something else, and then he says the gas, the entire compound. That second thing that he lists, I thought he said the boy. <laughs> I thought he oh, wanted no. the feral child left behind oh, no. for his crimes. Oh, no. And I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> that I sounds like that. awful. I, what does <laughs> yeah. he say? The implication Wait, what does he say? Um, was, the it the, was it the oil? Oh, he says well. the oil. I, boy, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm, on, I'm on Team Julia on this one. I think oh, he said the good. boy. 
Yeah, oh. and I listen to it like four times. And yeah. I try not to go to the script. I try to hear the movie. Sure. And I was being lazy and did not go to the script. And just like, all right, I'm just going to double down. He's saying the boy. Yeah. That got me in trouble on it our podcast. Sense. I misheard yeah. a lot of things that were very egregious that I got a lot of blowback on Twitter for. I won't repeat them here, but I misheard some very offensive terminology. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, and we went into like a five minute discussion about uh, about certain things that were incorrect. And people yeah. were like, what, what is your problem, you American idiots? Yeah. Mostly from Australia. They're like, that's an obviously, that's uh, obviously what that means, you dummies. So we don't look at the script either, and that has gotten us a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I'd like to consider moments like that not so much rebukes, but more like just opportunities to learn. Like, <laughs> exactly. I know better now because of our amazing listeners that they're not called pickup trucks, they're called utes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I learned stop nothing. calling them pickup so, trucks, Rick. <laughs> I mean, I refuse to learn. I don't grow. That's part of my worldview. Uh, <laughs> so I will continue making mistakes. I'll just sort of gently acknowledge that they happen, and I'll move on and do it again. Right. Fair enough. Going back to that idea of the list, the things that he wants. Now, one of those things, obviously, the pump, it's not like they can just unbolt the pump from the ground, pick it up and walk with it because a lot of that pump is underground with the pipe. So obviously they're going to leave that behind. The oil, as in the unrefined fuel, that makes a lot of sense because they don't want to bring the oil with them if they can't refine it. But he wants them specifically to leave behind the gasoline. And I know that kind of translates into an instant gratification for the horde. They can fill up their gasoline. They can go out raiding immediately. But, and this is going back to me wishing that he had a personal assistant. If he allowed them to take the gasoline and they left behind all of their instruction manuals on how to refine, I feel like they could very easily get their fuel stores back up very quickly. But like we said before, that would kind of defeat the purpose of being a huge macho dude with huge biceps and pecs and showing off everything to everybody. That's and that right. assumes that he's come up with a plan that he actually, you know, is going to follow through on. And I, I don't think that that's the case. Now, it... You're right. He asked for the gasoline, which is interesting because isn't it guzzling? Oh, God. <laughs> no, the word. Oh, God. Can, can we just sidebar for a second off road? I hate the word guzzling. It's something Yuri thinks is cool or whatever. He's like a bro dude. I think guzzling is kind of a dumb joke. And it, uh, the fact that it, the first time it happened, I was like, oh, that's funny. That's cool. And then it sticks through all of Mad Max Fury Road. And it really gets in my crawl. It's, yeah, guys. it's Travis's bugaboo. Do Every time like I say it? guzzling out loud, he lose, hair falls out of his head. It's ridiculous. <laughs> my sperm count drops every time I hear the word guzzling, and I hate it. What do you guys, do you, do you guys think it's a cool word, or do you think it's a dumb word? Wow, I have not thought about it that much. Yeah, I Give kind it some of... thought right now. I need an answer. <laughs> I kind of see it as a... A symptom of the boom boom times getting rid of all of their wordy word books. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah, they're kind it's, of it's adapting a dumb joke, language. Though. Like it's clearly like a dumb gag, right? Yeah. I think the the main I guess justification for using a word like guzzoline is the fact that none of them drive Priuses. <laughs> and so their gasoline, you know, is a very important resource, but also one that diminishes very quickly. Yeah, that's the gag, but it's a dumb gag. You know, right? You're a dumb gag. I'm not a dumb <laughs> gag. I'm, a, I'm a, an amazing individual with a with parents and a God-fearing sensibility. Did you hear that? I just I just heard Rick do a little tick. I know. He tick, just, like, he just like, marked. He's yep, like, I'm gonna take. Gonna, child. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bleep that yep. out. Here's how I win this argument. <laughs> <laughs> So now I sound like a feral child, so you guys are all wrong. Wait, Julia, are you on my side? Whose side are you on here? Um, I think it's a dumb word. 
Yeah, yeah. Julia's a boss. So, yeah. so me, so me and Rick versus Julia Travis. Yeah, I, yeah. Let's, let's I think it's, I think it's good world building, and I can't really, I can't really get upset with it. Definitely, the the best way to build a world is by dumb gags, Rick, for sure. Yeah, if you make up words, it's going to make the world feel more lived in. You know what it's like? It's like calling a lightsaber a shiny bright. You're like, oh, swing the shiny brights around. No, it's just be cool, man. Just call it what it is. It's gasoline. No need to make a joke out of it. Let's just, you know, be cool, be cool people. I don't like, know. Just I, I think I'll defer to what Anakin Skywalker called them laser swords. Yeah, that's uh, actually that's pretty that's badass. That's, yeah. that's, that's, pretty that's badass. full on canon right there. Yeah. yeah. Canonical laser swords. All right. Yeah. Sorry. That was about detour. Uh, yeah, don't get don't get Travis started on Star Wars. Yeah, I got other things to say about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. If we had a dollar for every time that we reference Star Wars in this podcast, we'd be able to independently fund this podcast. There you go. Yuri and I did a full one-hour spinoff episode where we just trashed we just... Force Awakens. And I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure we ever released it, did we? You know, because we realized that it had... Our, our recording device, knowing full well what we were getting into, stopped about 15 minutes in. But I was mid-rant yeah. and didn't notice for 45 minutes. Oh, I was wow. like, I was standing up and spittle was flying out of my mouth with anger. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, oh, it hasn't been recording for half an hour. Was, they, I think we just abandoned it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyway, F that movie. So yeah. what, what's up? Okay, sorry. Back to, back to Mad Max Minute. All right. <laughs> this seems like a good time to catch up with the Horde. After the Lord Among Us is done giving them his compromise, he starts up the truck in what is arguably the I'm driving away equivalent of dropping the microphone. Obviously, he doesn't yeah, want yeah, to literally yeah. drop his microphone because he would have to go and pick it up, but he says, right. just and walk away. there aren't that away. many microphones in the wasteland. It's true. Yeah, exactly. He says, just walk away. There'll be an end to the horror. And then he starts up his engine with a nice thunderous roar. And then as he starts to pull away, as seemingly an afterthought, he says, I await your answer. You have one full day to decide. And then we get a nice close-up on Max as he's looking out over the horde. And then he's so handsome. He's beautiful. Let's be real. And then we spend the last 10 seconds looking at the poor Toadie scrambling to try and find someone to ride with. Yeah. yeah. It is it is so sad to watch and nobody wants to pick him up. Not like yet. they will sooner, they are quicker to drag the dead body of Wes's lover <laughs> yeah. onto a truck than they are to, pick, to give that poor guy a ride. He sucks though. He's not and, fun. And he's got, you know, that many less fingers. It's, it's a lot harder for him to just sort of grab onto something. He definitely yeah. can't. And he's bleeding all die. over the place. Yeah. Nobody wants yeah. that much blood in their car. Yeah, they don't have no, upholstery cleaner. It's true. Like it's that fine. blood it's gets very... on the seat, it's not coming off. It's never coming out. It's hard to find a car wash in the wasteland. I totally agree. <laughs> uh, no, that sucks for him. I love it, though. I, I love, like, yeah. broad, almost comedia del arte throwbacks in George Miller stuff. He's not afraid to do archetypes because there's enough going on that's deeper and sort of deep character development. Those little, you know, shtick gags, I really love them. I think they're super funny and add a lot of, like, levity to these moments. And I think he's very good about pacing the the wave of a scene where you want a little, like, coda of intense and then you want a little comedic coda. You know, he's so good about throwing you all the things you need to feel like a scene is complete. And I love that about him. And the toady totally sells it because Max Phipps is a veteran of the stage. He was, you know... Seemingly, as far as I read, Australia's favorite Frank and Furter for no, really from Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror, yeah, yeah from nineteen seventy-five to seventy-seven. Really? Oh, you're over, talking to an enormous Rocky Horror fan over yeah. here, guys. A quarter of a million people saw him on stage in Corset and Garters, 
singing about how he's a sweet transvestite. Yeah, that's incredible. Wow. I have I no spent idea. a lot of time in Corson and Garters on a stage. I'm not going to lie to you guys. <laughs> I, have, I have paid my dues. True story. Well, this is, some, you know, and, and this is why I love doing this show with you, Travis. And by this show, I mean their, their show. show. <laughs> uh, I always learn something new about you as, as, yeah. as well as I know you at yeah, this point. Yeah, that happened, you guys. And it was awesome. So good for him. He yeah. seems a little too short, but I guess you can clop around on some high heels and make it work. Exactly. You get some nice pumps on there and you get that height real no, quick. No, man, not pumps, man, flat. You get the you get the uh, raised up ones with the flat bottom. You don't pumps are dangerous on a stage, you know what I mean? <laughs> Tim Curry is also not tall. Tim Curry's not tall? Tim Curry's not tall. Stop it. In legend, he looks like a giant with those I horns. I know. Okay. Sorry. Mad Max Minute. Yep. Yeah, I'm just going to say, it would have been a very different performance if he had been allowed to keep his Frankenfurter outfit as the toady. I thought you were going to say if he would have kept his Frankenfurters on his hand after that knocked off. <laughs> You know what? I, but I would have bought it though, with with sort of the eclectic uh, fashion sense that that uh, that is that is out there. When you when you look at everybody, uh, all of you know Lord Humongous's uh, his horde, that guy might have fit in. Yeah, would have been would have been a good a good thing. Yeah, yeah, maybe somebody would have picked him up and taken him home. Yeah, instead yeah, we get yeah. you know it would have been me. When? Instead we get post apocalyptic <laughs> Daniel Boone. Yeah, Davy Crockett. That's cool. But but it's you know he's also uh, it's sort of encrusted uh, with uh, car things you know which is something that that comes up throughout a lot of his emblems and things that are in his hat and on his shoulder and everything are all sort of from cars. They're they're, they're the insignias from cars, which which tracks with what George Miller has always done with the production mm-hmm. design. Yep, and the the general shape of his outfit, it almost seems quasi-military. Mm-hmm. Kind of looks mm-hmm. like a fancy uniform just made out of scrap materials. Yeah. And so it adds weight to what he's saying because he's trying to look fancy. Mm-hmm. It's so. like Sheriff Clark with all those medals on his chest. Oh my God. <laughs> there you go. I don't know if you guys know that guy, but yeah, it feels like the facsimile of a, of a military man, which is... With, with, yeah, somebody who's never actually done any service. Yeah, it's perfectly yeah. characterized, actually. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> So because I want to respect the amount of time that we have, I think it's a good point where we jump into the end of week recap and just kind of look back on where we've been and what led us to this point. Uh, So when we started off this week, it was the arrival of the Horde and Max Phipps was able to give his amazing introduction of the Lord Humongous. So good. Ayatollah of rock and roll. Ayatollah of rock and roll. Weirdly pronounced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got to learn a bit about professional wrestling and the fact that Chris Jericho uses <laughs> that nickname sometimes. The yep. Ayatollah of rock and roll. And <laughs> Julie, didn't you say something about Chris Jericho earlier today? Oh, oh crap. Uh, what were we talking about? Just Chris Jericho. You guys have a weird marriage. <laughs> It's weird, but it works. Yeah, it works. That's every marriage. I was noting that the Lord Humongous did a wrestling move on Wes, and he looks like a wrestler, like he could be a wrestler, and his nickname is Ayatollah Rock and Rolla. So I posited that... Lord Humongous is Chris Jericho. <laughs> yeah, we buy it. I love. I love this theory. Approved. Yep. I like it. So after we get introduced to the Lord Humongous, he spends the next couple of minutes talking down to the compound. We got a demonstration about how nothing escapes the wasteland, thanks to Wes and his little wrist-mounted crossbow. That poor little rabbit. Yeah, no- nothing. Nothing escapes. Great shot. Great idea also, script-wise. Just yeah. simple and funny and just quick. And for the toady to, to take on that and say, yeah, look, see? 
Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It does a lot of character stuff. It does a lot of plot stuff. I really like that moment. Mm-hmm. After that, we had some fun with boomerangs as the feral child lashed out at Wes for headbutting one of the scouts. Uh, the feral child definitely came out ahead of the curve on this one as the golden <laughs> youth met with an unexpected end and the toady learned the wrong way to catch a spinning blade. <laughs> Can I issue just a, a complaint about that? Uh, not your recap, but the scene. Because yeah, because the, ahead of the curve on on a boomerang gag. Nailed it. Is, I mean, nailed it. I mean, listen, linguistically nailed it. Let's just be real as a as a foursome here. But I just and listen. I know this is a dumb thing to care about. I don't like that the feral kid does a backflip into that stupid hole. I think it's stupid and I don't like it. And I get why it's cool and I get why it, it, it's a funny idea. But just scurry back in. It's it's oh, as I, effective. I, I love the backflip. Of course you love the backflip because it's dumb. <laughs> That's what I do. That's what I do. I see your point. I like the backflip because it looks good and it looks fun. But I definitely see your point. Like Julia's a Judas. <laughs> no, no. Julia is on my yet again on my side. Yet again, it's mm-hmm. the Don't kid is showing history. off now, and that's how you get hurt. Look what happened to the toady. He was showing off, and he got hurt. Yeah. It just feels unnecessary. It feels like a. Anytime I feel the wheels turning behind the scenes, I get a little uh, itchy. I guess it just feels like a filmmaking thing instead of a thi- uh, uh, wasteland thing to me. Wow. It didn't feel practical because wasteland is very practical. Everything has got a practical use in the wasteland, and whether it's artistic or inspirational or physically, you know, mechanically practical, just felt like a show-offy, impractical move. And I was, it just raised a bit of a red flag to me. So I'll be in the minority on this one. It's okay. And surviving in the wasteland is all about energy. Most of the time, we focus on gasoline. But they also need to eat and drink enough water to survive. So expending that extra energy just to do a backflip, it's foolish. Julia's come around. I knew she would. Julia, you're back on my good team. Thank you so much. (laughs) This is a really awkward moment. Um, A really bad time to say that we got our first sponsor for children's gymnastic classes. (laughs) Hey, it was a great looking move. (laughs) That's great. The only other sponsor would be gloves. Just do gloves and and children's gymnastics for this episode. I'm kidding. We're not sponsored. (laughs) Yet. Same. As much as I'd like like to be (laughs) we never got there sadly so after the debacle with the boomerang we had wes's outburst which prompted the lord humongous to just hug it out hug it out like Mm -hmm. a couple of bros Uh and you know i I think we really appreciated that the lord humongous is willing to be so hands-on with his men (laughs) and just forging that physical bond between (laughs) him and his underlings only till one of them fell asleep well, you know, that happens. Yuri and I have been in that position this entire podcast. We're not doing video because that's how we record. We have one mic we have to share, so I just hug him and we share a mic. It's just an excuse to hug. Hell yeah. Yeah. Wes and the Lord Humongous, they were finished, and so Wes went right to sleep. unsavory (laughs) distinctly unsavory and of course that brought us to everything we talked about today where the lord humongous laid out his offer for the compound to consider and we're going to be able to see next week kind of what they think of it and a couple of the opinions flying back and forth between the dwellers and you know max is going to offer an alternative we're going to see what they choose to do and uh it's going to be a good time it's gonna be a great time tune in next week you guys yeah. yeah. For real. We won't be here, but... But tune in, tune in, tune in. Tune in. Tune into them. <laughs> tune into them. Tune into... Or this. Tune into this, this. that you're listening yes. to now. Yes. Great. We're As professionals. It... Did I mention that we're professionals? <laughs> <laughs> 
we had a great time having you on the podcast today. Yeah, you guys are a hoot. I'm so glad we were able to <laughs> connect you. with you because I Me feel like too. we played email tag back and forth and <laughs> went through we some did. scheduling debacles. But you know what? We made it happen. Julia, your ideas are excellent. Rick, work a little harder. Uh, <laughs> I just feel like Julia really has her finger on the pulse of uh, filmmaking and storytelling. Uh, thanks for agreeing uh, with me. Yuri, you can you can fuck off. <laughs> Rick, thanks for thanks for siding with me. There you go. <laughs> no, seriously, thanks for having us, guys. We're super stoked to come back uh, and record yeah, and talk about Mad Max. And you guys are rad and professional, and it's uh, we're not used to such professionalism. It's it's mm-hmm. a, a a breath of fresh air. <laughs> so if people really liked listening to you guys and what am i saying if, i highly doubt that but since yeah, people probably really like listening to you where can people find each of you online to sample more of your wares uh you can you can find me at yuri lowenthal on twitter um you can uh, at you are awaited is the uh, the twitter handle for for our mad max show uh which you can also look up uh, on iTunes or Google Play Store, wherever you wherever you get your podcasts, uh, you are awaited. Uh, those are the yeah. yeah. I, uh, you can find me at Travis Centel, T R A V I S S E N T E L L, Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I wrote an episode of the show called Electric Dreams coming out on Amazon in November, December. Uh, it's a Philip K. Dick anthology show. It should be great. Check that out if you like Philip K. Dick. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 30 of the Road Warrior. Have a great weekend.